Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. So as I've been trying to prepare this, um, because there's so much information, what I decided to do, and Pastor Bo and I were going to try to do this, we, we divided their lives into three sections. And so this is how we're going to present their character and who they are and the impact that they've made on missions and world evangelization. The first part is this. We're going to talk about uh, God's preparation or their, their preparation for God's mission. What was God doing? I'm going to look at some of their early years. And it just doesn't, doesn't even seem like they were going to be missionaries, let alone these famous missionaries. But just looking at some of their average, ordinary things, their experiences in life that actually shaped them to where they are or where they were at that point when they passed away. And that's why I want to encourage you in this, that first section, I pray that you will start reflecting on your life. What are some of the things that I'm doing right now that just seems mundane and just seems as if, God, what is it that you're doing? Some of you who are going through pain and struggles and difficulties and whatever else you're facing in your life, that you will get a glimpse that actually God can use some of these things later on that you do not know now, but later on for something that is incredible. This is where you, you, you need faith to believe. The second part is we're going to look at their purpose in God's mission. So we look at the preparation and we're going to look at their purpose. How do they understand their calling? How do they live it out? What were some of the things that were involved for them to finally say, this is my calling, this is my purpose in God's greater mission? The third part we're going to look at is their place in God's mission. We're going to talk about their legacy. What did they leave behind? What was their contribution to the work of missions and to the evangelization of cities and to certain people groups and even a whole nation and the whole world? So we're going to look at the preparation. We're going to look at their purpose. And then we're going to look at their place in God's mission. So that's how, those are the points, the three points that we're going to be looking at. And so I'm going to try to go through this as quickly as possible. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about David Livingston. And I want to just kind of encourage us to think about a person who's an ordinary person who lived a life that was devoted to Jesus and devoted to the gospel. It was a devoted life. And the reason why I wanted to start off with David Livingston was because Africa, the continent of Africa, uh, has a very special place in my heart. And the reason why is because that was the first place, Kenya and Nairobi and the Maasai land, that was the first place that I went to when I was on a mission. So it's interesting because we have some Africans in our house here and I talked to them, and I realized I've been to more African countries than they have, and they're African, you know? So I'm like, my brother, you know, uh, what is going on here? And it has a special place because it impacted me. It literally changed the destiny and the course of my future calling. That's how powerful it is sometimes in that first experience. It was also the place that God gave me a vision of having this heart for evangelism and as well as participating in God's mission somehow. And so my first trip that I went on was in 1989. That, that was a while back. 
And yes, I, I am old. And so it was something like 89. That's my dad's. Yeah, I'm probably your dad's age, some of you. But I went on Kenya, Africa during that time, and it literally changed me. It impacted me so deeply that I could not be the same or go back to the States and be the same person that I was before I left. And subsequently after that, I went to various other countries in Africa in different capacities, no longer a missions project. I went as a missions project member. I went as a leader or coley. I went as a leader. I was leading a team. I also went as a pastor to do a lot of pastors and leadership training in some of these various countries in Africa. I want to show you a picture. Uh, this picture here is, uh, yes, yes, this is how we dress with all these beautiful flowery dresses. Uh, and the men, we had a uh, uniform that's just white. All right, so you get the picture here. Uh, I don't know if you know where I am, uh, if you can tell. Uh, this is me right here. I did have hair, okay? That's all, I, that's all I wanted to say. That's all I wanted to say. I did have hair. Uh, this was one of our translators, great guy, and... Uh, this was in 1992, where I went back to lead a team. And we were doing a little tour around a couple countries in Africa. So we were in Kenya, and we also went up to Burundi and Rwanda and some of these places. And we were just ministering there, the word of God, encouraging the churches, encouraging the people. And every single time I went, every single time I ministered to different people from Africa, and most of them spoke either English or French uh, or their native language, Swahili or what, uh, uh, Kurundi, whatever it may be. But it really made an impact as I thought about how the gospel entered into Africa. And this is the reason why when you study a little bit more about David, uh, David Livingston, you will begin to realize that he literally opened the door for missions to come into the continent of Africa. Can I just also make a disclaimer or maybe just acknowledge what most of us already know? I know that there are a lot of people in this world, uh, whether they are believers or not, they look at what happened in the 19th century, in the 1800s, with a lot of the colonialism, that they went into different countries around the world to, and some of them did very bad things. Uh, they. Uh, took all the, the wealth and the goods, brought it back to their own country. They enslaved the people in that country. So we know all of that. And so I'm not going to kind of close my eyes to that. There have been a lot of bad things that I've done in the name of colonization or going there to spread the gospel. But I will say this, that many of the people who do claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ and they have a family history of people who have professed to know Jesus Christ, a lot of them can be linked to some of these missionaries who came. And the thing is that the, the best missionaries, this is my humble opinion, I think the best missionaries are the ones who became like the people. We have missionaries today that try to be, bring their own culture in and rather than being sensitive to the culture that is in that particular country. And so just, I want to get that out of the way, but still it's a very important point because as we're talking about at least these missionaries, Hudson Taylor, Amy Carmichael, David Livingston, uh, all three of them lived like the people 
and made an impact amongst the people that they were close to. And so with all that being said, who is David Livingston? Here's a picture of him. And so you have some, it's an old picture. Uh, he was a Scottish missionary who had a heart for Africa and it was also known as an explorer and an abolitionist. Now, those of you who might not know, his background was in medicine. So he was actually a doctor who wanted to be a medical missionary uh, to, around the world to share the gospel of Jesus Christ through the avenue of medicine. And he played probably the largest role in discovery and the mapping of the unknown continent of Africa during his time. Because in the 1800s, no one knew about Africa, at least not anyone from the European countries and so, or, or from the states. And so it, it was just kind of this foreign land that no one understood. They just knew people were darker skin was from that place. And so David Livingston was literally the person who opened up the doors for the people around the world to see that there are people in this continent with these countries who do not know Jesus Christ. He also helped, and I'll share a little bit later, he was very catalytic in stopping the human uh, slave trade that was going on during that time in the 19th century. And so once again, when you know the heart of God and you love people, you cannot support slavery at all. That's my humble opinion. But once again, you have people from the states who have used the Bible to justify slavery. And to me, I don't know what, well, I know what Bible they were reading, but they misunderstood that particular passage or those passages. Was, uh, is slavery going to be completely eradicated? There's slavery going on right now in many different countries. And so when you know the heart of God and you love people, you realize that that is not something that you want to participate in. So let me just kind of uh, go through these three areas, and I'm, I'm going to try to go through this as quickly as possible. Just think of it as an appetizer. Turn to somebody next to you and say, it's an appetizer. Don't worry. All right? All right. So he brings the gospel to this continent of Africa, and he begins to expose the evils of slave trading. So let me give us the one thing. The one thing that I want you to just remember even as you leave this place is simply this. The one thing is a Christ-centered devotion fuels our mission conviction. That a Christ-centered devotion, as you are devoted to Christ with your whole life, it will literally fuel, it will be the catalyst for this mission conviction that you are saying that I want to be a part of God's mission. To those of you who are not part of God's mission, part of it is ignorance, but also it's because you are devoted to other things. You love the things of this world. You love other things apart from Christ. Or you love Christ and these other things. And that's why right now you are struggling with idolatry in your life. But when you have a Christ-centered devotion where your whole life is centered around Him, then I'm telling you, you don't even have to try. Your heart will begin to burn for this mission conviction that every single person should have an opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because there are still people who are dying every single day without hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, we say, here am I, Lord, send me. Send me to my campus. Send me to my workplace. Send me to my neighborhood. Send me to my family. Whoever it is amongst my friend groups, send me because I want to share the love of Jesus Christ. So let's go ahead 
and look at the life of David Livingston and how his Christ-centered devotion fuels our mission conviction. The first thing is this. Uh, let's look at David Livingston's preparation for God's mission. As many of you know, and I think all of us can confess, that our background and our upbringing plays such an important part of who we are right now and who we might become. We just have to accept the fact. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm, I'm not saying that if you grew up in a certain kind of environment and that was not good, that you're stuck. That's your lot in life. I don't believe that's the case, especially if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Can I get a good amen to that? If you have been saved, loved by God, forgiven of your sins, your shame, your guilt has been taken away, your hope now is in Christ, in the eternity that your life, if you were to die, that you will spend the rest of eternity with Jesus Christ. With this eternal hope, I believe no matter what kind of background, what kind of abuses you have experienced, what traumatic things that you have gone through in your life, that God can redeem it for his glory, and for something greater. I believe that with all my heart. That's why I continue to preach this gospel message because I believe it because it's transformed my life and the kind of upbringing that I went through. And by God's grace, I am who I am today because of him and because of the gospel. In fact, studies have shown that if you come from a family where both of your parents went to university, the likelihood of you going to university is higher. It's just studies and they have done research time and time again they've also found out that if your family emphasizes the importance of hard work diligence then the likelihood of you having that value and that trait is very high now think about it i'm not trying to pick on any country or any people group or whatever the case may be but if you grew up in an environment where everything is done for you because you have helpers everywhere then that's what you're going to be expecting. And that's what I've seen over the years, back in the States and even now. Like we all eat and then we just leave the stuff there because like someone else is going to clean it up. But we're like, hello, like that's your, that, that's your junk. You know, clean that thing up. So once again, sometimes the way we are raised up is the way we look at life, the way we look at society around us. Also in the same way, spiritual background. If your parents practice uh, spirituality or any kind of religion or faith, then the likelihood of you practicing as you get older, you might have some gaps, but as you get older and you go through the same thing of becoming a parent, having kids, of you coming back and wanting to practice the faith, it is higher than if you had no faith whatsoever. Now, why is this important? It's because in the same way, if you look at it in the negative sense, if some of you grew up with abuse and violence, then the likelihood of you being abusive and violent increases. So I'm like, no way. You just wait. Wait until you become parents. Wait until you get married. So ladies, he seems really nice right now, really nice. But he might have a very violent and abusive streak. And some of you ladies who grew up in that, you just think it's normal so that you get constantly attracted to those types of guys. I'm sharing this because when you look at the life of David Livingston, you realize his background shaped him to do what he was doing when he was here on this earth. David Livingston's background will give us insights of how and why he ended up doing what he was doing. 
Let me talk about a couple principles to keep in mind as we look at his background. First is this. God always prepares his servant. Come on, can everyone say that with me? Let's say this together. It's that God always prepares his servants. David Livingston was born in March 19, 1813 in Blantyre, Scotland. He grew up with other siblings in a single room house. Think about it. Here's a picture. I don't know if you can see it. It's a very old picture. But it's a, it's a single-room house that they grew up in. And because due to his family's financial situation, David Livingston began to work at a local cotton mill at 10 years old. <laughs> Child labor, right? I mean, they had to. They had nothing, so they had to have everyone work. So ever since he was 10 years old, I want you to think about, here's his background. This is the preparation that God is doing something, even though some of those things might not be now really accepted, but at 10 years old in a single room house where he lived with these siblings and his parents, he started working at this mill. And guess what? He worked close to 12 hours a day at 10 years old. Then some of you are like, how about school? Oh yeah, he did that after he came out of work from six to eight. So we're talking about 14 hour days as a 10-year-old, all the way throughout high school level, if you want to look at it. And what happened was that this really began to build the sense of perseverance and character in the sense of just diligence, just hard work. He ended up studying hard, and eventually he got into university, and he studied medicine in 1836 because he had this this dream of going into medicine to do something to help people. A lot of it was just the way he was raised up. He was so curious. He always wanted to know what was going on around him. And so in that curiosity, he started discovering different things about the sciences. And so he was interested in maybe using medicine to help people. And it was through this experience that David Livingston began to understand that hard work and perseverance is a very important trait to do mission. Can I just ask us as I pause here, what are some of the things that you're going through right now in your life? What are some of the difficulties that just seem overwhelming and just you cannot bear it anymore? Some of you are even looking at other people. Man, they, their life is so easy. They have a lot of money, a lot of resources. It just seems like they have a certain kind of personality. And you're thinking to yourself, why did I grow up the way I did? Why am I the way I am right now? Some of you in this room struggle with mental health, anxiety disorders. Some of you probably had some suicidal thoughts. Some of you have such low self-esteem that you're just wondering, does anyone really care? And these, th these thoughts continue to play out over and over in your mind. And it doesn't help not only when you go to a school, those of you who are students, where it keeps on reinforcing that your value and your significance is based on what you do and the grade that you get. To those of you who are working, we live in a society where it's about performance, the KPIs, and how you produce things. Because if you don't produce the things that you need to, then you will either not get that promotion or you might even get fired. So it affects us mentally, emotionally, and even to the point spiritually, because then we're like, we don't even have time to pause and to pray and to depend on God. But can I ask you, 
But how is God shaping your character through some of these things? How is God revealing some of those deeper idols and issues of your heart that you have not even touched for years? How is this particular event in your life that you're going through, your struggle, what is he showing you about you? What is he showing you about God? In terms of Livingston's spiritual life, he was born to religious parents. So at a young age, he was trained in the ways of the Lord. But it was interesting, like most kids, uh, he didn't like the Bible, and he didn't like his religious aspect of Christianity, which I thought was interesting. But this is the part that's important about his preparation as God prepares his servants. Is that at age 20, how, don't, you don't have to raise your hand. If you want, you can raise your hand. How many of you are 20 years old? Go ahead and raise your hand if you, okay? Proud, be proud of it, okay? Someone like, I'm 20. Some of you are like, I was 20 one time, long time ago, all right? <laughs> at 20 years old, Livingston had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. In fact, after this encounter, when he understood this gospel message, in his response to the conversion, he had this incredible, insatiable desire to live for Christ. Listen to what he said after some time, after some moments after receiving Christ. He says this, I saw the duty and the inestimable privilege to accept salvation by Christ, humbly believing that through sovereign mercy and grace I have been able to do so, and having felt in some measure its effect on my still depraved and deceitful heart, it is my desire to show my attachment to the cause of him who died for me by henceforth devoting my life to his service. Like this guy got it. It doesn't mean that you understand everything about God. But he got it enough where he realized that what Jesus did for him was beyond what he could do for himself. That he knew that he was so depraved and so deceitful in his heart that he could not save himself. And understanding what Christ has done freely and what God was doing all throughout history to make himself known and to allow him to now enter into the kingdom of God. It says here, there is nothing that I can offer to him besides attaching myself to the service of my king and to this kingdom. I want you to think about that for a second. I'm just wondering how many of you, when you really understood the gospel message, some of you who got baptized in the last several years, that you had this powerful encounter with Christ, that you're making a decision to follow him, that you're saying, God, it's not about me. It's all about you. I'm going to attach myself to your cause and whatever you want me to do. I'm telling you right now, unless you experience this in your life, somewhere along the line, the the conviction about mission is not going to burn. When you realize that you are undeserving, you are sinful, but God in his mercy and in his grace not only saved you, but he has now given you the privilege to participate in the work of restoration, in the work of advancing God's kingdom here on this earth, you realize it is my privilege and my honor. Where do you want me to go, Lord? What do you want me to do? And it's this powerful encounter that caused him to slowly start preparing 
for going into Africa in the future. And that's why I want to encourage us, when you think about things that you're going through, remember this, you got to have the perspective that God is preparing you for something. Can you just turn to somebody next to you and say, God is preparing you for something. That God is preparing you for something. Psalm 78, verse 70 through 72. Listen to what it says in the NIV. Read the yellow sections with me. This is King David now. And you know King David in the Bible, what he did. And listen to what it says. It says, he chose David his servant and took him from the sheep pens. From what? Tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob of Israel, his inheritance, and David shepherded them with integrity of heart. With skillful hands, he led them. So what do we see here? When he was young, he was tending sheep. Because what God was preparing was that he was going to be a shepherd for the people of Israel. Learning how to look after sheep. Taking care of them, loving them. Guiding them. It's the same skill set that you're going to need, even though there's a reason why Jesus used that people and sheep are similar. Whenever sheep, one sheep decides to jump off the cliff, everyone just follows. No one thinks twice. You know, just like Asia, right? Just follow. Anyway, um, bad comment. Erase that. Okay, think. Think. And so what David realized is that God was actually preparing me. By me tending the sheep in the sheep pen, he was, getting me, he was getting me ready to be the shepherd of Israel and with skillful hands. You don't get skillful hands overnight. Skillful hands come through practice. Once again, I'm going to ask questions. It's all rhetorical because you don't want to look guilty. I remember playing some of the video games with my kids. I'm a mess with those shooting games. When I say a mess, it's not like I'm destroying everybody. I'm a mess because my thing goes up, the gun goes up, and I'm firing here. I don't hit anybody. And my kids, my, my boys would be like, Dad. And I'm like, I'm trying, I'm trying, you know. Can we just go back to Pac-Man and, you know, Tetris and those simple things like that? But, like, when I see some of you and when I see, when I saw my kids when they were playing it, they were just like... And I'm like, wow, those hands. <laughs> if they could use that for the Bible, wow, that would be beautiful. Skillful hands come through practice. So here is David Livingston at a young age. God was preparing him as he went through different things growing up. Another thing I want you to notice as we're talking about the preparation of David Livingston is that God not only pre uh, prepares his servant, but he always provides for his servant. If God has something for you to do, he's going to provide for you. How many of you believe that? Can I get a good amen to that? Amen. He is not going to call you to do something that he is not preparing you and equipping you to do. Because then you're going to trust in yourself. You're going to try to do things. God is a God who is a God of provision. So if he gives us a vision, he will provide the provisions because he is always for his vision. So if God is calling you to do something, you sense that he's calling you to do something, he is going to equip you and provide things for you so that you can actually do it. You might not see it right now, but he's going to provide those things for you. There were two incidences in his life that played such an important role in his preparation and anticipating doing missions in Africa. 
The first incident came through a person named Carl Guslov. He was a German missionary who went to China. Now listen to me carefully. You have to see how God is writing the story. When David Livingstone interacted with them, he heard the stories of China, and one of the best ways to go there is through medicine as a doctor, medical doctor. And so what happened was that he was doing medical missions in 1834, and that's when David Livingston decided, you know what, I'm going to go to med school. So I, I want you to try to understand his story of preparation. Listen to me. That God, with his great seeing time in past, present, future all at once, God was going to use him in Africa. God knew that. In his sovereignty, in his providence, then he provides everything that David Livingston needed to get there. So what does he do? He brings this German missionary to his life, who then begins to share about China and being a medical missionary. So he signs up to go into medical school in 1836 or 1834. Then in 1840, he received his medical degree. He also got ordained as a clergy, as a pastor, a minister. And then he was accepted by the London Missionary Society to go to China as a missionary. So check this out. He hears a story. He gets convinced, inspired, convinced that he's going to go to China, but he's going to do it as a medical mission, uh, as a medical doctor, and do missions that way. And then he gets ordained, and then he gets accepted to this mission agency. He's all ready to go. But guess what happens? In the 1800s, the Opium Wars. So if you know your history, you realize that during the Opium Wars, it put an end to his dreams of going to China. So I don't know if you've ever been there where you had all these dreams of doing something and all of a sudden doors shut. And some of us, we feel like, God, what is it you're doing? I thought this is what you wanted me to do. Why is this closed? I mean, we've all been there where it seems like we know the will of God. We think we know the will of God. And all of a sudden it's like a curveball, And we're like, like, that's not it. So God, what do you want me to do? I'm in electrical engineering. I hate it. You know, I'm in biomedical science. I hate it. I, what, what is it? I, I, can I just give you advice? It's not about the degree. Listen, listen, it's not about the degree. Do you know why you're in biomedical engineering, which you hate so much? Because he's trying to build character. That's one thing good about Asia. In America, you could switch majors just like that. But in Asia, you can't which I think is very ironic because they only, change, they only allow you to change it if you get it like 3.7 like or some really high GPA. But I want to go to the administration and say, hey, listen, you're being very idiotic. Listen to me very carefully. The reason why they, don't, they want to switch is because they hate it. You know why they hate it? Because they're flunking out of classes. They cannot get the three point whatever. So you're stuck. So then you have to forget about bioengineering, all that stuff, and say, God, what are you trying to teach me? Some of you who are at work and you hate your work. You're like, oh, time to make the donuts. You know, it's a little colloquial phrase where you just go over and over again. You think it's about your job, don't you? <laughs> you think it's about your contribution to society and making this company make more money. <laughs> more money. <laughs> but you know what? It's not. 
It's really about you in this sense. He's trying to break you, to teach you how to be faithful and to learn how to do things that even though you don't feel passionate about, to be able to do it because it's building your character because you need it because 20 years from now, you're going to do something that you're going to need this as a preparation to get there. This is why you need the perspective and to be able to say, God, show me. So here he is. I'm going to be a medical doctor because I got inspired by this German missionary. And then I'm going to go to China and the opium wars hit. And he realized, forget that dream. I'm not going to be able to go to China because there's a war that's going on. And this is where God provides. In the midst of trying to decide, God, what do you want me to do? He meets this man named Robert Moffat. Now, some of you might not know him, but he is a Scottish missionary who was a missionary to Africa. And Moffat convinced Livingstone of going to Africa instead of China because of the incredible need. In fact, Robert Moffat shared this. He, he, he said, try to picture this, David. He says, try to picture this. He says that sometimes seen in the morning sun, the smoke of a thousand villages where no missionary has ever been. That, that, that's the quote. What he was saying is like, David Livingstone, listen to me. China is great, but I'm telling you, come to Africa because as the morning sun rises, there are smoke filled, these huts of villages, thousands of them, hundreds of thousands of them, of people who have never heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This moved David Livingston, and he decided, okay, I'm going to go to Africa. After saying his goodbyes to his family, David Livingston set sail for South Africa at the end of 1840, and he arrived in Cape Town after a three-month journey. Can you imagine? We, we can get there in about, what, I don't know, uh, 12 hours or so, but a, literally a three-month journey on a boat. He arrived in Africa finally in March 14th, 1841. You have to remember that God uses people and different situations to bring us to where he wants us to be. Some of you, you know why you didn't get into that school that you applied for? Do you know why? Because he wanted you to be right here. And why in Hong Kong? Because he wanted you to be a part of our church. Oh, that's why I didn't get to Harvard. Yes. That's why I didn't get to Cambridge. Yes. That's why I couldn't get that job. That's why I couldn't get that internship. Because he wants you where he wants you to be because he's preparing you for something that's great. Let's go ahead and go quickly to the second part. So we talked about Livingston's preparation for God's mission. I want to talk about his purpose. What did he do in Africa? I think so often we try to discover God's purpose for our lives. And let me tell you, this, this is the problem with many of us. And I found it to be true in my life as well. Is that we, we, we on one hand, we falsely assume that God's going to appear to us in lightning and in a deep voice. Hello, Seth, this is God. God, is that you? Yes, it is. How are you? I'm doing fine, God. What do you want me to do? Like somehow we think that God's going to like speak to us in this audible voice. And he might, I'm not discrediting that. He might, he might use different things. He might use lightning. He might use, I don't know, just 
a heart. He might use something to help you to realize this is my will. Other times, you're not going to know, but it's a discovery as you take one step of faith, take another step of faith, take another step of faith, and you begin to realize, oh, I see now. This is where he wants me to go. And the other problem that I see with this whole situation of finding God's will is that your purpose in life oftentimes is not about you. It's about you in the sense where God will use you, God will bring things about, but ultimately it's for his glory. So many of you are so caught up, but what am I going to do? What, you know, what is he calling me to do? That you forget that what is he calling the believers, the church, our life group? What is he calling? What is his purpose on this campus, in the city, in my workplace, in my family, in my neighborhood? Because it's almost like this little kid crying and wanting something and God's not going to give you things that are going to be unhealthy for you. There are several things that David Livingston had to go through to fulfill his purpose and mission. I want to talk about two things really quickly. The challenge of his calling. When God calls you to do something, it will always get challenged. Someone, somebody say challenged. When God calls you to do something... It will always be challenged because it purifies us, helps us to understand if this is something that I'm doing or is it God who's working in us. David Livingston arrived in Africa and he began to preach the gospel to the Africans. But like so many other missionaries during that time, he did not have much success. Success being converts. In fact, in the early years, he was credited with just having one convert. Come on now. You gave up all these things to come to Africa, the continent of Africa, and, and you only have one convert after about, what, six, seven years? I don't know how you would have felt. I would have been thinking, what is my life? Just kill me right now, Lord. Perspective. And I'll share a little bit why that perspective is important through that one convert. Another thing was that he was even mauled by a lion, which permanently damaged his left arm. He couldn't really move it that much. I don't know about you, but when you commit your life to doing something for Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden all these things start hitting you, and you don't know why, there are many times when you're thinking, maybe I misheard the call, or why am I here? Why am I doing what I'm doing? However, for David Livingston, it did not lessen his commitment to missions or growing in love for exploration. In 1845, he ended up marrying his mentor's daughter, Mary Moffat. And as he started living in Africa, started starting his life with his family and kept on going on, one of the things is that his family was hit by a, a, a serious illness that he had to send his wife and his children back to the UK for medical attention. But he ended up staying behind. And during the time that he was staying behind, I mean, once again, you could be thinking, well, God, why is this happening to my family? Why are all these things happening? Why, 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 why? I'm giving my life to you. I'm trying to serve you. All these things are happening. But as he remained behind, you know what he started doing? He started mapping and navigating towards the interior of Africa and made some new discoveries, incredible discoveries. So look, look at some of the maps. I, I don't know if you can see it here. 
Like, here's a picture of him because he actually started making maps of Africa, the places that he explored. He started making maps. Uh, another thing, uh, let me see. Do we have uh, another map? Yeah. So here's an old picture of a map here. And if you look at the red lines, you will notice that those are all the places that he literally traveled. So if you look at this map in the southern part of Africa, this is the southern part of Africa and the center of Africa, all these lines that you see are the places that he literally traveled and explored. They didn't have an SUV, you know, uh, electric EV. Uh, We're talking about just walking, trekking, and maybe riding elephants. I don't know how they did it, but they're just going slow. It took months, almost a year, nine to ten months to go from one place to another. Here's another map that will help you to see it more clearly. Uh, the most significant part that I, I thought I found, like, I, I don't really like maps, but I was studying that. I'm like, this is really fascinating. The, the one trip that he made that was very important was from here, the purple one, all the way over here, and it went back. Why is that important? He literally went from West Coast to East Coast. And I'll explain a little bit why later about why that trip was significant. But here's, here are some maps that he drew out and he made as he got further into. And guess what? He was the first non-African to discover as it is now affectionately known as Victoria Falls. Here's a couple of pictures. I don't know if you've I've heard or seen Victoria Falls. That's probably one of the most beautiful falls in all of the, the world. This is just a close-up view of these incredible falls. But then watch these from the zoomed-out picture. Like, it's amazing how these waters just from different parts of Africa comes down and it's just these falls. I mean, you're, you're like this big. You're like, a dot. you're like this dot right here or smaller than this dot. It's, it's phenomenal. I would love to visit one of these days. So he went to places where non-Africans have never been to, all because of situations that began to change and challenging the things that he was going through at this moment. When you think about the Apostle Paul and all the things that he went through, but stood faithful to God's calling, it's very powerful. I'm not going to time to read all of it, but if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24 to 28, he talks about this, how he received the lashes, 40 minus 1. And then he talked about how he was beaten three times with the rod. He was also talking about he was shipwrecked day and night. He was adrift in the sea. And through all the dangers, through the rivers and over the mountains and the hills we go, you know, all that kind of stuff as he went through the difficulties of life, sleepless nights, the hunger and the thirst, you realize that this man was still focused on the mission, regardless of the challenges. Can I just ask us, I'm wondering how many of you, as many of you claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, at the first sign of a trial or difficulty, you just give up. But here's a man who, at 10 years old, spent 12 hours working two hours going to school. That history, that background of his life shaped him to go through some of the stuff that he was going through. That's why I'm telling you right now, some of you who are struggling, you're going through something that's difficult, it is preparing you for something great. Another thing you notice is not only the challenge to his calling, but the confirmation of a new calling. This is important. I think many of you need to hear this. Within the exploration of Africa, Livingston ended up realizing that God was calling him to do something different. 
He felt that God wanted to use Christianity, commerce, and even just civilization just to bring forth uh, just a different way of life uh, as a means to end the slave trade. This is now where things start turning. Listen to this is the part that was fascinating. He came as a medical missionary. He wanted to preach the gospel, there, but only one convert in the past six, seven, some years. And he's thinking he's like a failure. Why am I here? Why am I doing this? And all of a sudden, as his wife and children need medical attention, he sends them off to UK. And here he is wondering where, what is he called to do? He does this exploration. He's doing all these trips to find out more about Africa so that he could pray for it, love it, serve it, and to find the next place that he wants to go and share the gospel. In the midst of all of this, he begins to have this idea that maybe what we can do is use commerce so that we don't have to have people selling slaves to get money, but if we can open up an economy, the commerce, that then people won't have to turn to that. So his motive was to end and abolish slavery or the slave trade. So that's why he made that trip, as I showed you, from the west to the east, because it was through that waterway where the Portuguese and some of these other people who came, the Turks, the Middle Eastern people, they, they came and they used that waterway to export and import slaves. So that's why David Livingston was going through this route. As he went through it, he realized, wait a minute, to get rid of the slave trade, we should just try to increase the economy here in the continent of Africa, which I thought was brilliant. So as he's doing this, you will notice that he now doesn't become this preacher per se, but he's an explorer. And if you look at the history books, you realize he was one of the greatest explorers during the 19th century. He began to face some obstacles. Once again, when there's a new calling or any calling, there's challenges. In 1857, Livingston left his missionary organization due to this calling to explore more of Africa and to abolish slavery. And one of his three-year uh, trips, it took three years on this trip, uh, we noticed that in this river, it was the major waterway for the slavery. I, I don't know, do I have a picture of that map? I don't know if we do. If, yeah, that, that one right here, the, the purple line. And through that, what happened was that his wife ended up getting malaria, and she ended up dying. I don't know about you, but sometimes... You sit there and you're thinking, wait a minute, God, I'm trying to serve you. I'm trying to do this. I left the comforts of England and I'm here. He loses his wife. A big blow and a, a challenge to his faith. But this is where he pivots and he begins to change and make it now. I'm going to solely focus on getting rid of this evil in society. As we fast forward quickly here, one of the things that we begin to see is that he gets ill towards the end of his life, and he disappeared for almost six years. Well, that's what it seemed like. And people, because by this time, he was world-renowned at that time. And so later, there was an American explorer and journalist named Henry Stanley, and he went into this western part of Tanzania. And here's a picture. I thought this was a really funny picture. USA, USA. I mean, why are you carrying a U.S. flag? Anyway, so... Here they are, and they meet. And this person, Henry Stanley, is trying to convince David Livingston to come back with him. Don't stay here. You lost your wife. Look at you. You're ill. You're sick because he brought some medicine for him. And David Livingston says this. He says, I shall open up a path into the interior or perish. Kind of sounds like Esther. 
If I perish, I perish. Pretty much what he was saying is, this is my life calling. I'm going to continue to preach the gospel, but one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to abolish slavery, the slave trade. And that's what he was committed to. I want to talk about his place in mission, and we'll close with this. As he was in a desperate search for the source of the Nile River, he was hit with this illness, and in May 1st, 1873, at the age of 60, uh, which is the modern-day Zambia now, he ended up passing away. Two of his closest uh, companions found his body inside the tent because he wasn't coming out. It's kind of like someone in the bathroom was like, hello, hello, you've been there for a long time, why aren't you coming out? So they check into the tent, and they found out that he was dead as he was kneeling by his bed. And one of them, concerning the nature of his death, said this, by the candle still burning, they saw him, kneeling at the bedside with his head buried in his hands, and upon the pillow, he had passed away on the furthest of all his journeys and without a single attendant. But he had died in the act of prayer, prayer offered in that reverent attitude about which he was always so particular, commending his own spirit into the hands of his Savior and commending Africa, his own dear Africa, with all her woes and sins and wrongs to the avenger of the oppressed and the redeemer of the lost. People around him realized towards the end of his life as they were living with him, walking with him, journeying with him, exploring with him, that he was a man of prayer. And what a poignant way to pass away is on your knees and he ends up dying. When they were trying to decide what to do with Livingston's body, his close companion said, you can have his body, but his heart belongs in Africa. So they ripped open his heart, buried his heart, by a tree and buried it in Africa, the land of Africa. And then they literally took almost a 63-day journey to bring his body to the coast where there was a ship that was going to go back to the UK. And so they put his body, put all of his journals, and that's where we get a lot of these things, the maps that he made. They put it all there, and then they embalmed his body, carried it, brought it to the shore, and they put it onto the boat, and they sent it back. And now his body is welcomed with a hero's, it was welcomed with a hero's welcome and finally laid to rest in the uh, Westminster Abbey on April 18th, 1874. So what was Livingston's place in missions? What was his legacy? As I was studying this, studying his life, there are so many, but I just narrowed it down to four things. First thing is this, Livingston opened Africa to the world and his maps were critical. He, he was the one who opened up. That's why if you are from Africa and you know Jesus Christ, it was because of this man who helped open up these countries in Africa where the gospel can come forth. The second thing is this. Livingston was catalytic in addressing and abolishing the slave trade. I mean, U.S. still were, had slavery. They were fighting over it, a, a, a civil war. He, where the source was, because a lot of these slaves were being taken from Africa, he was able to be champion for the slaves and to abolish the slave trade. Something that he probably did not plan when he was younger, when he wanted to be a medical missionary. But that's the thing about God, is that you can have some ideas of how you're going to serve God, but God will give you the experiences that you've never thought about before, and it opens up doors. Some of you are like, I'm going to be a, an engineer. How do you know that? Because you're flunking already. Anyway, you, know, you hate it. You hate it. 
You hate it. But what if God's calling you to be a teacher? And that's something that you never thought about when you were younger because you just thought about like making a lot of money and doing all this stuff. My mom and my dad, there's a teacher. No, don't do that. But you've always had a heart. You think about your life. You think about all the things that he placed in there, how he shaped you and molded you to be where you are. Some of you are going to do things that you've never thought you would do. Why? Because your mind is already fixed, but God is saying, go beyond what you're imagining. The third thing is this. Livingston's first African convert opened the doors for future missionaries. Remember that one convert? The reason why after he got converted, that David Livingston spent so much time with him was because he was good with languages. So he will go from different countries and different tribes and he will speak their language. And David Livingston said, okay, I'm going I'm to utilize this guy because he has a gift of language. And they started translating some of the Bibles. And because this guy supposedly had a very a magnanimous personality that everyone just welcomed them in. And that's how David Livingston was able to go through all these different countries and different parts of Africa. This one convert that took so many years, and after that, who knows how many converts that David Livingston saw. But through this one convert, that it opened doors for other missionaries in the future to come. And he became the gatekeeper to open up those opportunities. Who would imagine? Would you rather have 10,000 people come to know Jesus Christ and they do nothing? Or would you like to have one convert who can be the gatekeeper for all of Africa? God knew. And he was able to trust in God for that. And fourth and last thing is this, that Livingston inspired a new generation of missionaries. He literally started up a lot of university clubs and societies where people were catching the vision of reaching the gospel with the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, to the land of Africa, the continent of Africa. And he realized university students were so important to the vision of reaching and great commission in Africa. That's why he spoke to university students all the time. He encouraged them to become doctors. He encouraged them to become engineers and explorers to go out and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. The tombstone of David Livingston reads this. And this is at the Westminster Abbey. It says this. There's a, I think there's a, do we have a picture of it? Yeah. It says, brought by faithful hands over land and sea. Here rests David Livingston, missionary, traveler, philanthropist, born March 19th, 1813 at Blantyre, Lancashire, died May 1st, 1873 at Jitambo Village, Ulala, Ulala. For 30 years, his life was spent in an unwearied effort to evangelize the native races, to explore the undiscovered secrets, to abolish the desolating slave trade of Central Africa, where with his last words, he wrote, all I can add in my solitude is may uh, his rich blessings come down on everyone, American, English, or Turk, who will help to heal this open sore of the world. The part that I like, which I didn't realize until I was reading some other things, is that on this tombstone, right along the left edges, is a Bible verse. John chapter uh, 16, verse, uh, John chapter 10, verse 16. And it says this, Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. That is what drove him, that there were so many people in Africa who did not know Jesus Christ, that he laid down his life so that they could hear. 
David Livingston in his journal, which was just one entry of many. And I thought this was so awesome. And I want to close with this thought. It says this. I place no value on anything I have or may possess except in relation to the kingdom of Christ. If anything will advance the interests of the kingdom, it shall be given away or kept only as by giving or keeping it. I shall promote the glory of him to whom I owe all my hopes in time and eternity. I think that summarizes his life. His place in God's mission was that he literally opened the door for Africa. And he says, my whole life, everything that I have, it is a devotion to you. That's why, as I shared, a Christ-centered devotion fuels our mission conviction. Some of you might be sitting there, and now what? I don't think I could ever be someone like David Livingston. And I want to just say and stop you right there and say, I believe you can. It's going to look different but I believe you can. Let me help you to see it in a couple ways. First of all is this. Be faithful in your calling right now because God is preparing you. Students, I know study sucks. I know you're thinking, why? How will organic chemistry save lives? How will this, this electrical class Help me. Well, it might help you later. If you're on the mission field, you have to put things together. But you just never know. Just accept the fact that you just don't know, but God knows. That's why be faithful to your calling as a student. To those of you who are working, be faithful to your calling as a work, in the workplace. Why? Because what if God, for, for in His infinite wisdom, put put you there because five, ten years down the line, you're going to go up the corporate ladder. And you're going to have a lot of power and abilities to help bless people and influence people. Right now, you don't feel like it because it just seems like you have a horrible boss, you have a horrible manager. Be faithful. And in fact, God might be actually shaping you, preparing you for something like that. The second thing is this. Be focused on Christ's cause in order to find your purpose. You will not find your purpose by looking at yourself. Can I get a good amen to that? Amen? you got to believe me in this. Some of you who are still struggling to find God's purpose for your life, I bet you if I were to sit down with you, I could pick apart areas of your life where your focus is on yourself. Stop focusing on yourself because you cannot find the answer within yourself. This is the problem. It's our hearts. We're sinful by nature. So that's why we've got to look to God. God, what is it on your heart? What is your purpose? And then as you join him in his purpose, you find your purpose. Does that make sense? Because he is the one who is the revealer of all things. The third thing is this. Be fruitful in engaging in God's mission by loving people. Fruitfulness in ministry is about loving people. Some of you think that if we put on a good program, if we do all this great outreach, but if you do not love people, I'm telling you right now, you will not see fruits. In fact, so many of you who are serving right now in our ministry team, some of you are serving as leaders in our church, some of you are serving in different contexts, wherever you may be, I'm telling you this, 
that a lot of times when you do it for yourself to get rec recognized, to receive approval from people, because you don't want to get yelled at, whatever, everything about yourself, I'm telling you, right, your ministry will not be fruitful. It might look like it for a little bit, but for the long haul, it's not going to be fruitful. But you love people. It's about God. It's about loving God and loving people. And you make that a priority. I'm telling you right now, you will start seeing fruits. Life change will start happening. Disciples will be made. Number four, before thinking to leave a legacy for the next generation, stop thinking about right here and now. What are you going to leave behind? We already talked about this with some of you who are college students in our church. You seniors, what are you going to leave behind? Oh, that person studied really hard. That's great. That's your legacy. All your free time is used for studying so you can just exalt yourself. They're going to forget you really quickly. But that senior, when I was struggling, and I know that he had papers and other things to do, but he was smart anyway. But anyway, he actually reached out to me. We sat over coffee and just talked. That person will never forget you as a senior. You're leaving a legacy. I want to challenge you who seniors are going to, this is your last year. You're out after this. What are you leaving behind? So think into the future, before thinking. Some of you who are working, what are you leaving behind for the next generation? Oh, wow, when you start working, it is really hard. Or, wow, when you start working, it's so easy. Look at them, they're relaxing, they're vacationing all the time. Is that what you're going to be known for? The guy who goes kayaking every day? Now, if you're kayaking and evangelizing to the fish, maybe it's different, but right? Uh, a teaching moment about how to be a fisherman or a, a fisher of people. That could be a teaching moment. What do you want to be known? Oh, that person always put a lot of OT. Because it's all about you. They're going to forget you really quickly when you make it about you. But when you're impacting people's lives because you're spending some of your resources to bless that person or you found out there's a need, there's someone who's struggling that they don't have enough resources to pay for their rent and you somehow get, gather other people and then you slip that in without them knowing. They don't know who it came from, but it's from God. And when their lives are touched in that way, they will never be the same again. Then they're spreading that generosity to other people. That's how you leave a legacy. prayer do they remember it man that but that person was a prayer warrior whenever i needed prayer i would always ask them they'll pray for me it was powerful all the times those little prayers came true and lastly be full of faith and do something bigger than yourself we all have one life and one thing that is 100 true we're all going to die one day. With this one life, we're all going to die one day. Pepero, one, 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 one. And with that, my challenge to you is, are you doing something that is beyond you because you want to advance the kingdom of God? I just do pray and hope that in this missions month, 
God will speak to you about some of these things, that he's preparing you for something, that he has a purpose for you in his mission. And then as you look back many years later, you'll see your place of missions, God's mission. And then when you die, I pray that your funeral will be filled with hundreds and thousands of people who will come because they want to show respect and pay their respects to you because you have impacted their lives. I hear about these funerals where there's only a handful of people. That's not a life well lived. But when you have people flying in from all over the world to come to your funeral, that speaks volumes. That you did not live for the things of, of this world. You looked ahead into the future. You invested into people. You invested in the things that matter the most, which is about the kingdom of God. I do hope and pray that God will stir your heart. So can we stand together and as we pray, Thank you for being patient. I know the message is a little bit longer than normal. Like I said, there's so much to glean from these incredible missionaries. But I'm just going to ask you to guard your heart because some of us will say, like, I can never do that. Have you ever uh, seen those television interviews, the newscasters, where this guy ends up, like, saving this person who's being robbed? or this person who jumps into the fire and rescues that child or that dog, whatever. And they're like, oh, you're, you're a hero. What do they say? Do, do, do you know? I'm not a hero, you know? Sometimes they go, I don't know what got into me. I just did it. They were ordinary people who were given an extraordinary opportunity. And they just simply said, yes. I am willing, Lord. All these missionaries, you'll watch it from their background. I can't wait for next week. You'll see what kind of... She grew up in a wealthy home. She gave all of that up to go to India. Amen. It's going to be powerful. Ordinary people who saw the beauty of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God, and they said, it is so worthy that I want to give my life to it. I want other people to see how great and awesome it is. And through that, as they sacrificed, gave their life, they did some incredible things. And some of us are byproducts because your parents, your grandparents, and your great-grandparents experienced the gospel. I pray that you will live a legacy that will go beyond you and the generations to come. Lord, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus. For every single person here, Lord, as we're standing, we hear these incredible stories of people of faith and people, Lord, who people who live their lives in obedience to you. And I'm praying in the name of Jesus that every single one of us will be able to quiet our hearts and listen to your voice I just feel like let the Holy Spirit kind of speak to you right now maybe just something that was shared this morning 
I feel like he wants to put something in your heart right now. Maybe he's showing an area of sin, maybe self-centeredness, something you're doing just for yourself instead of for his kingdom. I don't know what it is. Maybe he's giving you a vision of doing something that you are afraid of doing and you want to take a step of faith. So Lord, right now, just as you reveal it to them, stir their hearts, stir all of our hearts. Help us to respond in obedience. Will you this week see your classroom, your dorm room, your workplace with your co-workers and your managers, in your families, in your neighborhoods, as the mission field? Let that be Africa. Let's do it for the glory of God. I want to give you about 30 seconds, really briefly, just to make that commitment this coming week. And let's just let our prayers reverberate just throughout this room. Let's just lift your voices just loud enough to hear yourself. And let's pray, God, may I be Christ-centered in my devotion so that it will fuel this mission conviction to love you, to love people. Just send me anywhere and I will go. Come on, let's just begin to lift our voices, begin to pray. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.